This is the podcast of Theophilus Church. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com. Thank you, Jesus, for being present in this place, for meeting us here, for going before us. Continue to meet us in this place, God. As we hear from your word, we take of your body and your blood, and we offer praise back to you, God. Continue to meet us here, Lord. As I read the scripture tonight, stay in this posture of worship. So we hear from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in our recitation of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Merry Christmas, Theophilus. Let's start just with a little bit more time 
in welcoming and responding to the Lord's presence among us tonight. Let's pray. God, our invitation to, for you to come is really an acknowledgement that you have come and we just open ourselves up to receive you tonight. Spirit, thank you for your gentleness, for your kindness, for your unwavering pursuit of us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this season, for the joy that is presence in expecting you and receiving you among us. Holy Spirit, would you move among us tonight? This is your your space. We are your people. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good, right? Oh my gosh. The Spirit is here among us tonight, and I'm convinced that God wants to stir in my heart, in your heart, in our hearts, together as one body. I'm excited to see what God has in store for us today and moving forward. Before I get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of you amazing people who helped put our party last week together. Thanks for bringing a little sunshine into our life. Asena and Joe for the amazing uh, party. And Sophie, my daughter, I guess she wants credit. I don't know what you did. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for putting such a wonderful uh, day together. If you see Asena or Joe, they like really took the bull by the horns this evening. Grab them, give them a hug, and say thank you for the work that they put in to that and all of their support as well. Tonight, would you join us for a potluck afterwards uh, as well? We're going to continue to celebrate. So tonight is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're going to walk through the scripture in Matthew that we read, which is the scripture for the fourth Sunday of Advent. But since we're not going to be meeting on Christmas Eve, hopefully in the future we will be doing that. We're also going to kind of do this two-part thing. Tonight's our Christmas service, so we're going to expect Christ, we're going to receive Christ uh, tonight in that joyous uh, occasion. So that's what uh, tonight is going to look like. I am trying to simplify my life, and I have decided that none of y'all need my three or four or five or six points in a sermon. So I'm trying to distill this thing down week in and week out to just one stinking point. Andy and I talked about this. We're on a revolution, a one-point revolution, right, Andy? Here's the conclusion of tonight's sermon. God is good. That's the conclusion. No matter how this journey goes and how we arrive at that conclusion, that's the takeaway tonight. God is good. And that's what we're going to focus on. That's what this season draws us into. My prayer is tonight that we celebrate this truth, this reality that we serve a God who is good. 
We're going to explore that goodness through this passage of Matthew that we just read. Last year, during this season, we were walking through the book of Luke. And the book of Luke uh, paints a picture of the arrival of Jesus from the perspective of coming to earth through Mary. We only have two accounts in the Bible of Jesus' birth narrative. One is in Luke and one is in Matthew. Mark picks up at Jesus' ministry, and John has this weird philosophical beginning, like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And then it moves to him turning water into wine. So the two narratives that we have, Luke and Mary, come at the birth of Jesus from really different angles, and it's fascinating to me. This is Luke over here. The angel Gabriel arrives in Luke to Mary, announcing to her that she has been chosen to be the God-bearer, to bear the Messiah in her womb. And last year, as we encountered that scripture, that scripture, we received Mary's response in a famous passage called Mary's Song. It's her, it's a, it's a joyful passage. It's her response, her, her internal leap of joy at being selected as the Messiah bearer. Well, Luke, or Matthew, where we are this week, strangely doesn't say anything about Mary. Matthew fixates on the other side of the story, on Joseph, Mary's fiance, and how he responded to this news that Jesus would arrive to his fiance. Joseph, we get in Matthew, we get a little bit of a window. It opens the door for us to use our imagination and to throw ourselves in the peculiar shoes of Matthew or of Joseph who is receiving this nonsensical news that he has to wrestle with and try and make sense of. That his fiance is with child and yet she is a virgin. In order to explore this, I want to dive into this picture. Abby's in Minnesota right now. She's, for all Advent, she's done these amazing pictures for us, for us to reflect on and create an alternative way for us to immerse ourselves in the story. When she gets back, just give her a big hug because this has just been an incredible thing to have. Um, in her painting, as you have it on your little scripture, these two things are together, and I, I love it how it's separated. There's this division between Mary and Joseph, this sort of conflict in this confusing, joyful moment in history where this peculiar news comes to Mary and Joseph. Let's dive in to Joseph's shoes. I envision the moment that he received the news from Mary. First, I think that Mary, as she is leaping for joy at this encounter with the Spirit where she is chosen to bear the Messiah, her joy is met with this sudden like, 
internal narrative processing as she begins to think about the moment where she's going to run into the room and tell Joseph this exciting news. And as she hears herself rehearsing the news, she starts to go, oh, whoa. How am I going to explain this one? Joseph, I'm pregnant. What? Don't, 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 don't worry. It's the Holy Spirit's child, right? This moment, doesn't that capture it so well? Sitting in this chair, receiving this news that is supposed to be joyful with immense amount of confusion maybe, maybe frustration, the feeling of betrayal. In the beginning part of, Max, or of Matthew's section, it says Matthew, being a man of integrity and a man of the law, chose, he was decided he was going to leave Mary quietly. To me, it, it, it evokes this sense that Matthew's response is very much the response that you and I would have in that situation. At once I love this woman, and at the second, on another hand, there is nothing in this world that tells me that I can rationally grab on to this idea that the Holy Spirit has impregnated my fiance. So at once I'm going to honor her, but on the other hand, my rational sense tells me, walk away. Don't press in, don't buy into this mysterious news. Just quietly go the other direction. This moment for Joseph is a moment of confusion. So he decides he's going to leave. And yet it doesn't end there, right? He falls asleep and in his sleep he receives a dream. And in that dream, an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, don't be afraid. The child that is in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. You are to receive that child, and you, Joseph, are to give that child a name. Joseph, in this moment, was being asked to take a risk to trust, and to surrender. This is not a decision that Joseph cannot, could do on his own. The fundamental, underarching narrative that had to be alive in Joseph's story to get him from going from this position to about face and embracing that woman, he had to believe at his core that the message that was spoken to him from the angel was true and that God was good. He had to believe that God was good enough that he could be trusted. There is nothing in this moment 
that erases the confusion, that erases the question, that somehow makes this mystery rational to Joseph. The only thing that is present that has the power to get him to move is an acceptance, a a space of surrender over to this truth that God is good. So Joseph repents. Andy, over the years, has done an incredible job of continuously drawing us back to this, um, this truth that repentance, oftentimes we see repentance as this idea of turning from sin. I'm doing something bad, and to repent means that I go the other direction from the bad thing. When in reality, repentance is turning toward Jesus regardless of where we are. Joseph is sitting in a place that all y'all can identify with, a completely rational place, actually a place of immense goodness in his heart. He could slander that woman. He could just leave and raise a stink. No, he's choosing to embrace goodness in his heart and to simply go his understandable way until the Spirit grabs a hold of him and says, turn, Joseph. And Joseph repents and surrenders over to the goodness of God that he's entrusting his life with. And he walks in that direction. A couple weeks ago, I had one of the most surreal... Um, I'm going to try and get through this without crying, but it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Just a forewarning. Um, it was one of the most uh, unreal experiences of my life. Um, a really good friend of mine, two friends of mine, a couple had a chance to adopt a daughter, um, this beautiful little girl that they had, has been living with them for the last close to a year. And they invited me to go out to Hood River and to uh, be part of the ceremony where this child would be formally brought in to the family. And in that courtroom, I experienced God in a way that I don't know if I've experienced God before, but probably not in the way that you would expect. Um, This little girl has a really fascinating story. She is just this incredible girl born to a mother who loves her ferociously. This mom is completely, her birth mom is completely and utterly just saturated in love for her daughter. Her mom deals with some very debilitating, crippling psychological and emotional uh, disorders and things that, that cripple her that she has realized from the moment that this child was born makes her unable to parent this child. Over the last two and a half years, or two years, her and her mom, the grandma of this child, have worked so hard to be loving presence to this child and about a year and a half ago, they decided that it, they simply could not be the parents that this 
daughter needed. And so through relationship, they tried to seek a home that could be present or that could be a loving home for this child. When I was in that courtroom, I was there to experience the joy of my friends inviting this girl to be their child. And over there along the wall was her birth mom, who was there, present, in the room. As she took her child and hands her child over to this loving family that she has chosen, she chose this family to care for her daughter surrenders it over, tears running down her face, and this big smile of joy of this knowledge that her daughter is going into the hands of somebody who would care for her. And as I sat there watching this encounter take place, I heard my, in my spirit, I heard God say, This is the love of the Father. Oh, man. The Father, in realization that His creation, from the beginning of the world, the, the most fundamental truth the first truth that we receive in all of Scripture, the thing that is repeated in Genesis 1 more than anything else, as God is creating his world, as he's throwing it together, the the sea and the land, the air and the earth, the animals, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, after each thing he creates, he looks at it and he goes, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. Over and over and over again. He looks at that and he says, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And then he creates his humanity and he says, this is very good. And in the process of our history, there is another lie we call it sin, that weaves through the story of humanity that looks you in the face and looks me in the face and says, you're not good. This isn't good. Destroy it. Exploit it. And humanity has followed that path over and over again in pursuit of living into this lie that it is somehow different than what God created it to be. And the rescue story, the story of Christmas, is God entering into that human story, surrendering himself. I imagine God entrusting his child, not that the heavenly realm could not raise this Jesus kid, and so he had to hand him over to Joseph and Mary, but that humanity could not save itself 
And so in order for humanity to be released, God had to do something incomprehensible. Had to hand his son over to people who are broken. Had to surrender himself so entirely, so completely to entrust himself and to say, I surrender, I release myself into your care. You get to name me. You get to raise me as your own. I, you get to call me your son. That is the degree to which I surrender myself over to you. For me, I don't know why. I don't know why it is so easy for me to just, I think it's just because, you know, Christmas is just, it's just this Christmas thing, right? It's like Jesus came as a baby. Yay, it's cute. (laughs) You know, Jesus is cute in that little manger. But like we have babies running around all over the place around here. Ask somebody if it's, if it's respectful or, and you know them. Ask somebody to hold the child. Is there a baby? Look at this little Sprick, Sprick's new little baby. This is the form in which the God of the universe had chosen to humble himself, to enter into humanity, to rewrite our story. It is a posture of complete and utter surrender. Does that not blow your mind? God surrendered himself over to the care of humanity. God surrendered himself. And he does it based on the most fundamental premise of his creation. He does it because he said, Even though you are broken, even though you are wounded, even though there is none who has done good, no, not one, you are good. And you are worth it. And so I will surrender myself over to you to invite you to surrender to me. I'm not going to force my way onto you I'm not going to demand your surrender. I am going to humbly come so that you can humbly receive. Ah, man. Woo! Yay, God. Good job. You know, I think um, we have a formula for getting people saved, you know, That's, we, and it's, we call it the Romans Road, right? And the Romans Road is to systematically walk through the scriptures in Romans that remind us of our need for a savior. And none of these things, like, I'm not going to argue with Paul. These are all categorically true. The Romans Road reminds us that you and I are broken and we are in need of a Savior. There is none that is good, no, not one, including you, including me, including Mary, including Joseph. All humanity has gone astray. 
And God has come and God has died. Jesus has died for us to set us free. Paul also tells us in Corinthians that God became sin, that Jesus came to this earth to become sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that you and I would be his righteousness, could become his righteousness. Tonight, the invitation to surrender over to this reality that God is good is also an invitation for you to receive a truth that God speaks over you life. You are my child, fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of that, you are good. You are good. That's the story of this, of Christmas. That's the story that you and I are invited to receive. Megan, I'm actually going to have you come up at this point. This is going to be like super short. Can you come up and just play a little bit of music? As I was um, preparing the sermon, I just felt deep in my spirit that we don't do this very often. I don't think I've ever done it at Theophilus. It's just to invite us uh, to respond to God's goodness in our life. There might be some, I feel like I know most people in this room, if not everybody, there might be some in this room, though, who have never actually made a decision to respond to the goodness of God in their life, to actually receive the truth that God speaks over their life, that you are my child, you are good, I choose you. There might be a lot more of us in this room that somewhere along the line, we find ourselves in this seat, sitting backwards, filled with doubts, filled with concerns, filled with questions. Things just don't add up. And we feel like we need God to somehow prove himself, to make things rational, make things that I can grab onto it. Give me something concrete that I can hold on to so I can turn and trust that you are good. Tonight, I feel like God is asking us to take the step of Joseph and with our backs turned and our fists clenched and things not adding up, to just open our hands and say, God, I'm going to position my life based on the declaration that you are good and that you've spoken over me that I am good that I have your righteousness. And I'm going to open my hands and I'm going to surrender to that. Why? Because you first surrendered for me. It's not this posture like we do this in hopes that somehow God will receive us as worthy. God has already spoken. He came because we, he thinks that you and I are worthy and his creation is worthy. He is making all things new. We have the opportunity to open our hands and say, God, 
Teach me to make sense of the chaos in this world, the confusion, the doubt, based on the proclamation that you are good. I'm going to invite Bill and Kathy, two of our elders, to come and and stand on either side of the altar. We're going to come to the table in just a couple minutes. But before we do that, I want to invite you, if you feel like you need to respond to that and to come and receive anointing from Bill and Kathy in prayer, in way of surrender over to God's goodness, I want to invite you to come and spend some time at the altar, and they will anoint you with oil and pray over you. Megan's going to play. We'll just sit in silent. Come if that applies, and then I'll come back and we'll lead you to the table. If you're serving communion tonight, you can make your way forward. Tonight, it's going to be a candle lighting service. We're going to sing together. There's going to be candles on both ends of the altar here. After you receive communion, um, you'll grab a candle light it and take it back to your seat and we'll sing together before we we are dismissed. We're going to come to the table and um, this table is the last thing that we do every single week and it is this really amazing space where the sacrifice of God meets the response of humanity and comes together in relationship. That's why we partake of it every single week is the reminder of the intersection between God's sacrifice and our response gives us the definition of who we are. Sons and daughters of God, as you come to this table and you partake of the sacrifice, allow yourself to just be immersed by the joy of this child who came to give this sacrifice to us. There's only going to be, actually, I'm going to invite you guys to come back here. We're just going to be in the front uh, this evening. So we'll come to the front, receive the elements, and then light your candle on the way. Come to the table. You've been listening to the podcast of Theophilus Church. We hope you've been inspired and challenged by what you've heard. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com.